We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, WTIC-FM and WTIC.com. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Rob Klee, Commissioner of the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Connecticut State Parks and Forests are most active in the warm weather months, but they're certainly not completely dormant this time of year. What sort of activities are people enjoying perhaps this weekend? Well, when we had a little bit of snow this past week, uh, we know people love to go out uh, snowshoeing. Um, right now, probably uh, I would stay off of our lakes right now. Um, ice conditions, you should check uh, locally, uh, obviously. And wintertime is a great time to, to see what uh, wildlife is out there, to follow some tracks. I have uh, two boys, eight and ten, and that's one of our fun activities, trying to guess who's been walking along in the snow or in the woods in the winter. Is it a little too early for crews to be readying the parks for the busy season, or are they doing that already? Well, so we're gearing up towards the busy season. This is the time of year that uh, college kids are looking for summer jobs, so we're looking to hire. So, Because uh, we have a real exciting program this year, the new Passport to Parks, which um, basically means that uh, with your Connecticut state license plate, you can get into our parks for free. So uh, we're gearing up for what's going to be a real fun, real busy season. So you need a lot of staff to, to manage that. Now, with the Passport to Parks program, there is a fee placed on your Connecticut registration, and that money goes to help support the parks. Is that correct? Correct. It's a $10 fee on your two-year registration or only $5 a year. Um, about the cost of one of those expensive cups of coffee. So it's a real bargain for folks, uh, particularly with all that we have to offer in the beaches, the lakes, the trails. The diversity of places that are really spectacular in Connecticut is is pretty, pretty great. And we get almost uh, 9 million visitors come out and enjoy them every year. Will that revenue enable Deep to do more at its parks? That's our, our goal this year, and we're going to be rolling out extended hours at our museums and nature centers, uh, shoulder season camping. So for folks, um, it's been a little uh, budget challenge the last few years, but we're going to bring back now uh, camping for fishing season, opening day of fishing, camping into the fall, fall foliage camping, which is a great time of year. It's one of my favorite times. It, when it cools down a little uh, and you get the those cooler nights out in a tent, it's a ton of fun. Uh, more lifeguards. Uh, um, which is, again, a place that we're going to be hiring uh, soon for lifeguards. So, yeah, we're going to um, give folks uh, something for their for their money, and that's uh, really the goal of the Passport Program. There's already been some talk at the Capitol of maybe taking some of this money for other purposes. What's Deep's position on that, and do you think it will become reality? 
Well, um, those sorts of budget discussions are, are above my pay grade generally. Um, but um, our goal with the Passport is to make sure that these dollars are invested into these terrific natural resources, these special places that 9 million people love to come out and experience. And it's really for us um, about sustainability of those programs and making sure we can do the maintenance, the upkeep. Um, so dollars that are diverted away from that purpose, or we wouldn't be in favor of those uh, because it's really, it, it takes a, a pretty significant workforce to deliver um, and make sure that the visitor experience is is what they're expecting. And as a parent with uh, two kids, I want clean bathrooms and I want to make sure that it's uh, safe, enjoyable, and, uh, and uh, a fun experience. And that's where the money uh, should go is to ensure that. When you think about state parks, you probably think about Hammonasset and Rocky Neck and maybe Silver Sands, but we have more than 100 parks and forests around the state, don't we? Oh, we sure do. Um, 110-ish um, on the parks and uh, 32, I think, state forests. And again, as I said earlier, it's this anything that you like to do, we have that option. The hike up to the tallest peak, the you know, the gentle uh, uh, river to walk by, the um, roaring sort of waterfall to go experience, plus um, all the favorite. One of my favorites, well, I can't say that I have a favorite because I love all the parks equally. And uh, But one that I've always enjoyed with my kids is nearby to me in Sleeping Giant, that um, paths that are great um, and walking trails that are really multi-generational. You get kids and uh, in strollers and, and grandparents and families, and, and that's really the um, the spirit of our, our, our parks program. Is there a hidden gem or two that people may not have checked out that they should check out? Um, everyone has, uh, a lot of folks who are, are regulars have their hidden gems. I don't know if they all want to share them, but um, that's been, uh, we're actually trying to encourage this year, particularly in a year where uh, we anticipate the big parks are going to get a, a whole lot more visitorship because of the passport program. Um, we're doing our sky's the limit challenge this year, which is something we've done now for the last, I think, four years or, or, or more. Um, really, for those uh, uh, folks who are, are diehards who want to go out there and uh, explore a new place, a place they haven't seen before, um, and get, uh, if they complete the, the circuit, they get a potential medallion for their hiking uh, stick and uh, a raffle at the end, which I usually, I try to go to the raffle at the end uh, where you actually can win a, a hiking staff. Um, so yeah, we're highlighting places that you may not have seen before. Um, I have my personal sort of out of the way place. Um, I'll share that one. It's Topsmead State Forest, um, which has a historic structure, some old gardens at the top of the hill uh, up in the, uh, the northwest corner. Um, and you can see in those places amazing natural uh, scenes, um, but they're all over. Um, the hidden gems is, is kind of the, the part of the, uh, the sky's the limit challenge this year. Now, Passport to the Parks applies to Connecticut registrations. So at certain parks, will you still be collecting from out-of-state vehicles? We sure will. So this is just for our in-state folks only. So, um, And we're the parks team is working on the logistics. Hopefully there's going to be the fast lane for the Connecticut folks and everyone else will have to wait in, in the longer lines. And um, the on our website is posted what the out-of-state rates are for uh, folks coming in with uh, um, from out-of-state. Um, they uh, vary by park location and sometimes vary by weekend versus weekday rates. But our websites are all updated with the new information. Um, but for in-state residents with a Connecticut plate, um, you're going to zip right in and uh, get to not have to wait in line as long. 
As you noted, this program will hopefully alleviate some of the budgetary constraints when it comes to the parks. But how else has DEEP as an agency been challenged by Connecticut's uh, tough budget situation? Well, I I think all state agencies and and part of the Malloy administration have um, asked all of the state agencies to tighten their belts a bit. And um, us, like others, um, have seen um, uh, some shrinkage in staff, some attrition. Um, We're about 20 percent down since 2011 uh, in terms of staffing. And uh, you feel the pinch. Um, You you see I go to way too many retirement uh, parties. And um, folks who have 25, 30 years of experience, folks, that wealth of knowledge, um, are, we have a great young group uh, of folks there, but they're feeling a little overburdened when uh, they too go to those retirement parties and there aren't as many people coming in to replace them. That said, um, we approach that with, um, as we always do, with uh, tools like uh, business process improvement, our lean tools. We've been trying to streamline our permitting processes to try to keep our head above water as best we can. But it's starting to to have uh, the potential effect on our ability to meet the needs of a very diverse agency. You are passionate about climate change. Give us an idea of how... Connecticut could change, especially the shoreline, if climate change continues. So, yes. And uh, our agency, the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, um, unique, uh, and this was, again, the Malloy administration merging those two two very, you know, interconnected areas of, of policy. Your energy choices have significant impact on the environment and no more so than in the world of climate change. So that's been uh, the spirit behind why our agency was formed in that way or, or merged in that way in 2011, to so make sure we're making smart choices on emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases and putting in place progressive uh, renewables policies and really driving efficiency. And at the same time, uh, the other parts of our agency, the coastal programs, the um, folks in our flood work, our dam safety sort of folks, recognizing that we've already built in a whole lot of uh, heat and heat trapping gases in the atmosphere. We're going to feel those effects out till 2050. We need to be more resilient and really strengthen our, our communities that are facing the brunt of severe storms like we had this week uh, after the one we had last week. Uh, there's an unfortunate pattern occurring, and it, it is what the scientists predicted, that we will be getting more severe storms. And we've seen that just in these last few months, in the last few years, going back to 2011 uh, and 2012, when we had those three huge storms back to back to back. So for coastal communities, that could be more severe storm damage. It could mean more flooding. It could mean homes that were maybe 50 yards away from the the ocean are now 40 yards away from the ocean. Exactly. And we've been working, um, we've developed a a partnership with uh, UConn, our flagship uh, state school. It's called the Connecticut Institute for Resilience and Climate Adaptation. That's really trying to understand how these global models and national models of sea level rise and other impacts, what do they mean in Connecticut, in Long Island Sound? And they've actually done that work at the direction of the General Assembly uh, as well, and came up with that we're at risks to up to 50 centimeters, which is 20 inches of sea level rise uh, by 2050. That's only 30 years from now. And to think about that with respect to all of our infrastructure along the shoreline uh, is pretty sobering, that 
we need to be making decisions now when we're investing in new buildings or modifying existing buildings that will take into account that up to 20 inches more of sea level rise. That's on the immediate shoreline, but we also can't forget that climate change is going to bring these more intense nor'easters. When you, when you add heat into the, the natural sort of water cycle, that supercharges storms, and we get the four- and five-inch rain events that affect the entire state, inland flooding, you know, in your local community as, as well. Those are, the, in addition, what that institute uh, at UConn, the Resilience Institute, is also cares about inland flooding and that combination of our rivers that meet Long Island Sound and that, that additive effect of floodwaters and storm surge and sea level rise creates some significant challenges. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Rob Klee, Commissioner of the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. One might say climate change is certainly a, a global issue. How can little Connecticut make a difference? Is it leading by example or is it more than that? I think uh, first and foremost, it's leading by example. And, I, and we do recognize that you know, Connecticut alone is not going to um, change the, the global carbon uh, balance or greenhouse gas balance. But Connecticut can develop those policies and programs that can be replicated and copied in other locations. And we've been doing that. We've been doing that um, with our regional greenhouse gas initiative, where us and uh, eight other states, possibly to be joined soon by New Jersey and Virginia as well, have developed a cap-and-trade or cap-and-invest system for tackling greenhouse gases in the uh, power plant sector and reducing those emissions by 30% or 40% in a short amount of time. And we've doubled down and said we want 30% more. And we're doing that Republican and Democratic states working together to solve a problem. We've done it as well with the Connecticut Green Bank, a model of how to deploy private capital and investment, which we have a lot of those folks in Connecticut, down, particularly down in, in Fairfield uh, County where I uh, grew up, that want to invest in green technology and clean technology. We're making it easier for them to do it here in Connecticut to the tune of almost a billion dollars of green investment in Connecticut in just the last four or five years. That green bank model is now being replicated in New York and Rhode Island and uh, down in uh, uh, Maryland and, and elsewhere. So again, we can solve our, our own challenges and, and be good stewards of our own environment and set that example for others to follow. Now, how are Connecticut's efforts to combat climate change related to the Comprehensive Energy Strategy, which Deep released an updated version of just about a month ago? Yes, just about a month ago, we released uh, uh, It's a Good Read. It's uh, 65 pages uh, of uh, how we're approaching the next three to five years or so in our energy choices. And we framed it in terms of really a climate and energy strategy. So um, the, the energy strategy looks at our uh, deployment of renewables. Are we investing in them at both the grid scale? where you have those larger sort of above two megawatt uh, sort of installations? And how are we investing in the smaller scale behind the meter at the residential level or commercial industrial level? How are we making sure we're getting as much of that deployed as we can, but at the right cost and at low cost and to drive down costs where we can because solar panels are getting cheaper, wind turbines are getting cheaper. All those things are improving in their cost profile. We want to make sure our policies and programs take advantage of those costs coming down because we've identified um, that we have a whole lot to do and we want to make sure we're doing it as efficiently and cheaply as we can. 
it seems that that wind and solar aren't quite there yet to to pick up all of the burden. So Connecticut is trying in the meanwhile to to maybe use natural gas as kind of a a bridge energy to get there. Is, is that an accurate uh, way to depict it? So partly. Um, so natural gas is uh, uh, an interesting sort of mix within the New England region. So in Connecticut, about half of our um, our uh, electric sort of side, 40% maybe comes from natural gas fire generators, which the modern clean ones are much better than coal, much better than oil. They're still a fossil fuel that, that generates greenhouse gas emissions. In New England, though, we are underinvested in pipeline capacity. So in the winter in particular, where home heating gets first priority. So all the folks on natural gas at home take the gas first. There isn't as much left for the gas generators after that happens, particularly when we get those really cold snaps. So with that sort of constraint in mind, we're looking to invest in non-gas electrical generation resources, which can be wind and solar, but they can also be large-scale hydropower and nuclear. So ensuring that we have a diverse mix of resources that is reliable and as clean as we can possibly make it. That's really what we've been talking about in the strategy, particularly in this next period up to 2030, where we need to have uh, significant reductions in our overall greenhouse gas emissions to the tune of about 45% reductions by 2030. So we need as clean a grid as possible. So we are now really looking at those opportunities, wind, solar, hydro, nuclear, that have zero carbon emissions as the key to make to getting to our 2030 goals. Speaking of nuclear, the the owner of the Millstone Nuclear Power Plant in Waterford has said that it needs more favorable terms to sell its electricity to stay afloat. Where does that stand? So that's a it's a great question. We had a um, a, a proceeding um, that was uh, kicked off by both executive order and then. Um, out of the last uh, uh, special session from the General Assembly, asking us to evaluate those claims and really understand um, whether this particular nuclear facility is at risk of retirement. Because nationwide, um, smaller nuclear facilities have been retiring around the country because they are um, comp- much more complicated and rightly so to operate. And they have more security concerns. They have more staff and personnel to make sure that um, the things that they're doing there are are uh, at a level that require a level of oversight and and care that is different than a typical power plant uh, generator. And we went through that process and got to a point where we decided to go ahead with a procurement option that gives sort of three paths. It gives a path where uh, nuclear or other facilities can demonstrate that they're in at risk of retirement, which is has significant consequences if they were to go. And our um, our New England, uh, ISO New England uh, uh, regulator, the grid operator, has highlighted that there are some critical facilities in Millstone, Seabrook uh, in New Hampshire is another one. If they were to leave the grid, we would be at risk of rolling blackouts. Other sort of bad things would, would happen, and that would cost all of our repairs quite a bit. The key is understanding, is it a real risk? And that's uh, the part that we didn't quite get the full understanding of in the prior process, but we've created a, a new we are in the in the process of creating a new path that we can determine that with more accuracy and, and comfort and then go ahead with that information and decide how much if or if we're going to procure anything at all. 
Other non-carbon resources get to compete, though, in that space as well. Because, again, that's part of the spirit here is that we want to make sure we're not overpaying for anything. Competition is the, the way to, to keep folks honest when they're, they're bidding. Talking, talking about pollution from power plants, when the weather gets warmer, we always have a certain number of bad air days in Connecticut. How much of that is pollution that blows in from the West? Yeah, um, way too much, frankly. Um, our folks estimate on some of those really bad air days, we could shut off everything in Connecticut and the, the air coming across our border would still violate the standards. And that's been a, a, a particular sore point um, for the governor um, when it is upwind states who refuse to, to be good neighbors, which is actually a, a legal uh, term in the Clean Air Act, to recognize that their decisions have effects on downstream folks uh, like Connecticut. And Connecticut is downwind from everyone. So it's both our neighbors directly to the West, the New Yorks and Pennsylvanias and New Jerseys, but it's also the Ohio's, Indiana's, the West Virginia's and the like. We've been challenging particularly the Trump administration and their failure to really recognize that these are um, serious issues for us, serious in terms of people and people's health. It results in increased asthma attacks. It results in more hospital visits. And it actually results in more deaths from bad air. And that is unacceptable to us. And we want this administration, particularly the CPA, which has struggled with the fact that they are a public health and environmental health agency, to take this more seriously than they have. One of Deep's other roles is to encourage recycling. And it seems, at least in my house, I'm putting more in the recycling bin than I am in the, the normal trash. Thank you. And keep, keep doing that. <laughs> what's, what's the What's In, What's Out program? Uh, what's In, What's Out. So I'm. Um, this is one of my personal favorites. I um, uh, Early on when I was uh, became commissioner, I was dubbed Dr. Trash because I actually have a PhD in industrial ecology, which is the science of materials and sustainable materials management. Um, what's In, What's Out is a, a fun uh, app and widget and website that solves that age-old debate that fam I know I've had with my wife and kids of what actually should go in the blue bin and what shouldn't go in. It's a, a great, easy tool. You type in your pizza box and your or your, your, your caps on top, some of those hard ones that people debate about, um, and it gives you an answer. And what we've been able to do, um, both through the agency and through the RecycleCT Foundation, is work with the the materials processors and have a standardized list of what's in and what's out across the state. So if you move somewhere, it stays the same. You, you don't have different rules depending on where you live. And it really reflects that there's a lot of wish cycling. So folks will put in something that they think is recyclable that may actually cause significant damage to the machinery, like a hose, uh, rubber. Well, rubber hose, that should be recyclable. Uh, no, that actually gets wrapped around the gears and could cause $30,000 worth of damage. They may put in plate glass. That actually is, is uh, dangerous to, to workers who are an, on the site and, and other sorts of things like that. So the, the goal of it is to get people to do better at what goes into the blue bin. So what comes out of that system is cleaner, is more easy to market and are more saleable and keeps the, the system running better and is safer for the workers who are all along the process. Connecticut has also been a leader when it comes to recycling certain items. I'm thinking about paint and mattresses. Yes, uh, we have uh, special programs there in, under the umbrella of something called extended producer responsibility, where the manufacturers of certain items, um, be they bulky and expensive to, to manage, like mattresses, or potentially hazardous, like paints and, and mercury is another one that we have, um, 
take control for, of the end of life of that material and actually help fund and finance the collection systems and recycling systems. What's great about those programs is that the recycled paint can be turned back into paint, and the recycled mattress is actually full of things that are steel, wood, um, the batting, and the and the and the padding, all of which are completely recyclable if you can capture it and get it to the right place, and not have it just end up in the curb on the curb where it becomes a wet, soggy, expensive mess for municipalities. Or in the case of paint, we don't want it going down the drain. We don't want it just sitting in your in your garage or in your basement. So extracting those materials from where they're sitting or where they're not in a good place and getting them back into the stream, recycling stream, is the goal of extended producer responsibility. He is Rob Klee, Dr. Rob Klee, Commissioner <laughs> of the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.